If you are able to stand, I want to invite you to stand as we read God's Word. Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. I want you to just remember this as we come to this passage. We are looking at the man, Abraham, called Abram here. The man who God has promised is going to become a nation of of God's people. And that he's promised to this man that he is going to bless the whole world. So let's read Genesis 10, starting in verse, or 12, starting in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a beautiful woman in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. In Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan's allegory of the Christian life, the main character Christian and his friend Hopeful one day get captured by giant despair. And the giant despair throws them into doubting castle. And giant despair gives them no food and no water. There's no light down there in the dungeon either. And the main character Christian despairs. Of life. Hopeful is there and encourages him to just hold on. The giant then takes the pilgrims into his courtyard, and it's actually a graveyard, and and he shows them all the pilgrims that the giant has torn into pieces before them. And he announces to them, in ten days, 
He's going to do the same to Christian hopeful. Captured by despair. Held in doubt. Abram, just last week, he was full of faith. He obeyed God's call to leave everything behind in order to get these promises, the promise of of a land, the promise of becoming a nation, the promise of having a great name, the promise of of blessing, all God's blessings were going to be given to the world through Abram. And then we get to chapter 12 and verse 10. And he's captured by despair and held in doubt. Verse 10, there's a severe famine in the land. And what what we should hear right when we hear those words is this is a big problem. Because all of God's promises will be lost for the entire world if Abram starves to death. So, this passage is really asking the question, what can separate us from God's promises? That's the title of the sermon. What can separate us from God's promises? And I'm saying us and not just Abram. Again, because all of God's promises to the world, the only hope that the world has to have blessing from God is all in Abraham. And so what happens to him has consequences for everybody. And his faith is is a new thing uh, when we get to our passage. So, So when he faces this great problem, He doesn't pray. He plans. He's thinking, well, you know, we've got a famine. But Egypt's got a river. And therefore, Egypt's got food. But he's thinking, Egypt's got mean men too. And so he tells his wife, Sarai, to masquerade as his sister. So that when they get there, if anyone's sweet on her, they won't just kill him to get her. In that day, if you happened upon a fine honey, what you do is you'd mosey on up to her father and ask for her hand. And then you would pay the marriage price. You had to pay A price. Well, if daddy's not around, you would have to do your negotiating with her brother. And so I think this is the plan. This is the plan. Abram's thinking, I'm the man of God. I have the promises of God. I can't die. And therefore, if we walk up in there and someone takes a shine... To my dime. 
then I, what I can do is I can stall them with marriage negotiations. I'm the brother. I can stall them. And then while we're negotiating, we can get out of Dodge. Now, there's a problem with Abram's plan. He didn't factor in Pharaoh. So kings don't negotiate. Kings just take. And the princess of God's promises is then carted off to Pharaoh's harem. So we, we, we have to, as we come into this story, understand all that's at stake. If anyone in the world is going to get God's blessings, then Abram's got to get God's promises. So we all have an interest in this question. What can separate us from God's promises? I want to walk back through the text. And do it really looking at the three problems here that are presented for getting God's promises. First of all, can need, the problem of need, can need separate us from God's promises? I mean, the last time we saw... Abram, the the way that the New Testament describes it, it, it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He was full of faith. Everything we saw about Abraham before was nothing but faith. Every place he went, he was setting up altars to God. He was worshiping God everywhere. And right after that, He learns, you should learn, faith won't separate us from problems. Famine is a real problem. Abram needs food or else no one in the world gets the promises and blessings of God. And yet our story, it it begins with Abram needing salvation from starvation. But the story ends with Abram rich with food. I mean, when it says that Pharaoh gave him sheep and oxen, and then in verse 20 it says he left with all of that. He left with a food source that was renewable. Because of God. What can separate us from God's promises? Well, first of all, we see in this in this section. Needs can't separate us from God's promises. So if you're a Christian, listen, you should not be surprised when the day comes that you are captured by despair. When the problems of this life 
are so significant, they may be varied. You're probably walking through some right now. But they become so significant and desperate that you are held, it seems, in Doubting Castle. And you're going to need to remember this. When that happens, you are not Abram. And I'm not Abram. What I mean is, you don't have to survive. He has to survive. So, we might starve. Being a Christian does not guarantee, God doesn't promise Christians aren't going to starve. And, and the cancer may not be healed. And that relationship may not be reconciled. But Paul, because of his faith in the Lord Jesus, he can say this and you can say this. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. And he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And no need that you have is going to get between you and that promise that ultimately we're going to be brought safely into the kingdom of God. So whenever life's problems fall on you, do not question God's promises to you. Well, food turned out to be the least of Abram's problems. Pharaoh takes Sarai to be his wife. So question number two that the text addresses, and you have a great interest in hearing the answer to it, can enemies separate us from God's promises? Genesis is a, a story. And that's the way the text comes to us, and that's, that's meaningful to how you find meaning in it. And it's a beautiful story. It's written by the best storyteller. Uh, and whenever he introduces a key character, he's always like foreshadowing what we can expect to see in that guy later. Verse 15 is the first time in the Bible the word Pharaoh, the person Pharaoh, is mentioned. If you're familiar with the rest of the Bible, even the next book of the Bible, this guy's a really key character. The very first readers of Genesis, uh, the people who Moses handed this book initially to, they were people who just got free of 400 years of being slaves to Pharaoh. So when verse 15 drops in the story, they're thinking Pharaoh's a problem. Think of it this way. If you were a Jew and you survived the Holocaust. Every time you would watch a World War II movie. The first time you see a German with a funny mustache. You get real nervous if the hero got anywhere near that guy. 
You move to the edge of your seat. You'd be holding your breath. And when the first readers of Genesis hear Abram say in chapter 12, verse 12. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. When they heard that, you know what they would be thinking? They'd be thinking what what is said in Exodus chapter one. Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you should kill, but you let the daughters live. They would see that connection between the, the boys being killed, but the daughters living. And they would be listening very closely, and we should be listening very closely. Genesis was first handed to a people who were standing on the border of the promised land. They're right there about to get this this blessing. But what's between them? Giants. Giants enemies are between them and God's promises. What I'm saying is they would be listening. Can enemies separate us from God's blessings? Pharaoh takes. The mother of the nation as his wife. Does Sarai sleep with Pharaoh? I have hope that she didn't. I mean, when this happened to Esther, she was in preparation for a year before she was presented to the king. But I don't know. And I don't think we can know unless the Bible tells us and the Bible doesn't tell us. Abram, we're told, just has to watch men more powerful than him. Carry his wife away to the enemy. And Abram can't do anything to stop it. Abram. Cannot be separated from Sarai. This is a tense moment. Because God's promise is to give Abram children with Sarai. Enemies are a problem. And Pharaoh is so big an enemy that Abram, we don't even hear anything about him coming up with a rescue plan. It would be pointless. He's in big trouble. Unless God comes up with a rescue plan. The problem is, before verse 17, we have no mention of God. The way the story is unfolding, Abram's just just planning and he's doing all this stuff. And he's facing all his problems all by himself. What's so encouraging about this passage is it teaches us this. Abram's plan and Pharaoh's plan are not as powerful as God's promises. God's promises can overcome every problem. Listen to what it says in verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. You remember the promise in chapter 12 and verse 3. Those 
This is one of the promises and it's being protected right here. Those who bless you, Abram, I will bless. But if anyone dishonors you, I will curse them. And here God is keeping his promise. Here God is reinforcing to Abraham and to us to get to Abraham. You got to go through me. For the people who had just gotten free of Pharaoh's house of slavery. Listen, the, the people who first read these words, the people who had witnessed the plagues. But at the same time, we're not hurt by the plagues. When they see what happened here, the Lord afflicts Egypt and Pharaoh with a plague, but Sarai's not hurt and, and Abraham's not hurt. What they would be thinking is, look, it did not happen. I thought maybe that was the first time it happened when it happened to us. But now I know it happened before us and maybe it'll happen again. In other words, enemies may be a problem for us, beloved. But God has plagues for enemies. So I think at this point, Abraham and, and the, the first people who read Genesis would be saying, what can separate us from God's blessings? Nothing can separate us if Pharaoh can't separate us from God's blessings. But, church, we actually haven't yet dealt with the greatest problem. I wonder if you've seen it, what the greatest problem is. We're meant to see it. The, the way the story unfolds, it's, it's really pointing our attention. There, there, there are two speeches in the story. One by Abraham and one by Pharaoh. Both of them are highlighting Abraham's lie. The greatest passage or problem in our passage is not the need of famine. It's not the enemy of Pharaoh. The greatest problem in our passage is the sin of Father Abraham. So, third question, can sin separate us? Can sin separate us from God's promises? Verse 11 actually is the first time we, we get to hear Abraham say anything. And, and again, this is one of the ways that God gives an indicator of the person's character. And he starts out really good. Abraham speaks up in verse 11. He says, wifey, you're a real doll. You're beautiful. And I know it. His first words, what I'm trying to say is they, he honors his wife. And that, I do think that's meaningful. Sarai is going to play an enormous role in Genesis and in the promises of God. And if God has said, if you bless Abraham, I will bless you. Well, if anyone blesses Abraham, it's certainly his wife. And so God is going to bless her and Abraham honors her with his first words. I do think, though, if God's promises 
where the the most important thing in the mind of Abram in this moment, he would have said, look, sweetheart. We're hungry. But don't worry, God will not let us starve. Let's hop on down to Mickey D's by the Nile. I know how you like that quarter pounder. But know that, yeah, you fine. You fine. And if, and that may worry you. There's strangers out there. They're mean. We're going to be by ourselves. But remember this. If anyone means us harm, God has promised us good. Nothing is going to get between us and his promises. That's what he should have said. And that's what we should say. When problems come our way. Unfortunately, when Abram compliments his wife, he appears to be using maybe creating the sandwich method of communication. Y'all familiar with the sandwich method? You start with a compliment. You end with something really positive. But there's a, some, there's a meat in the middle, that sandwich. And that's what is going on here. He says, you fine, in uh, verse 11. And then he ends with, uh, in verse 13... Uh, so that my life may be spared for your sake. You're so important to me, you know, and you can save my life here. But right in the middle, he says, they're going to kill me if you don't tell them you're my sister. During the Civil War, the legal age for soldiers was 18. And boys who were younger would write the number 18 on a piece of paper and then stuff that in the bottom of their boots. So that when an officer asked them, are you old enough to fight? They would say, I'm over 18. Well, Sarai and Abram share a father. She is his half-sister. And, and maybe at this point, now we can start relating to Abram. Not in the, not being married to a half-sister. I just mean, like, in this... <laughs> like, we can relate to this idea of how a part of the truth is enough of the truth for us. And if, it, if a part of the truth can be given to get us out of trouble, well, then we're comfortable with that. But for the God of all truth, half-truths are whole lies. And lies are especially offensive To the God who cannot lie. Lies are especially offensive. Because lies is what characterizes God's 
mortal enemy. Lies are especially offensive and we should be picking up. This is the worst thing that Abram could do. Because lies were the very first problem. And lies led to the greatest problem. When the serpent lied and Adam sinned and death came. Whatever Abram wants to call Sarai. Say you're my sister. Whenever God writes the story down. In these few verses. Seven times the way he refers to Sarai is wife. Seven times, which is to say, God is saying, as far as I'm concerned, all Sarai is to Abram is wife. And all of that is saying, Abram, you lied. This is the greatest problem in this passage of problems. And here's the deal, church. Abram was right about the danger he was facing. You may consider yourself a pretty good predictor of people, a good predictor of danger. And you should learn this from Abram. He was right. The Egyptians wanted her. He was right. The only way they were going to deal well with him was because he lied. And he was still wrong to sin. Sinning to avoid pain will only bring more pain. Abram got rich by his lie, but he lost his wife. His wife was taken from him. Abram got rich from his sin. But, you know, in verse 16 where it says the words female servants he got from Egypt. Well, there's a female servant later named Hagar from Egypt. Who he likely got right here. And she helps Abram later trust his plans more than God's promises. What I mean is sin always brings more pain. You may be facing problems. You may be guaranteed pain. But don't sin to get out of them. Sin will only always bring more pain. And the worst part about it is... Abram planned this sin. I don't mean his sin was, or his plan was sinful. His plan was, hey, when we get there, this, I mean, even before this moment, he planned that he was going to sin in this way. We, we hear this later in Genesis chapter 20. He says, when, whenever he left his Father's country out for this country that God was going to show them that that he didn't know what it was. He said he said to his wife every single place we go to you make sure you only tell them you're my sister. He planned this and so when the famine hits he was ready. Remember that plan we talked about 
You're always going to say you're my sister? Well, now it's time. Abram committed ahead of time to sin, to save himself, to sacrifice his wife. Can sin separate us from God's promises? The shocking news of Genesis 12 is the answer is no. Even sin. Sin. In Genesis 3, separated everyone from God. Sin doesn't get between Abram and God's promises. Now, hang with me. Moses, who wrote this, will tell you, sin got between me and the promised land. Because of his sin, he didn't get in the promised land. Israel will tell you. Sin got between us and the promised land. We were only in there for a little bit. We sinned so much, God kicked us out of the promised land. And listen to me. I'm here to tell you, sin will get between you and God's promises. Sin will get between many and heaven. If you are devoted to sin, it is going to separate you from God and all of his blessings. Abram would tell you, listen, I didn't learn from this that I can just go on sinning right after this in chapter 13, verse four, right after this, he goes to the altar. He understands how wrong he is and he repents and he goes back to blood because it's wrong. Providing food is not a problem for God. Overpowering enemies is not a problem for God. Blessing sinners is a problem for God. That's what I mean. God's holiness demands that when someone comes into his presence, they have to bear the punishment that they deserve for the sins they brought with them near to God. And yet, sin is a problem that God has a plan for. The reason sin does not separate Abram from God's promises is that part of God's promise to Abram is that he's got to live. His lie doesn't get him dead because he's got to live. His lie doesn't disqualify him from the promises because he's got to live beyond the lie. Because he has to have a son who will eventually deal with the problem of sin. The only way, if you, if you come and you're just, in, most of the time you just think about God's just blessing everybody. He'll bless anybody. He'll bless everybody. He's, that's just his job to bless everybody. No, listen. The only way God can bless a sinner is if he's got a plan to get rid of all the sin that does separate us from him. And one day, 
in order to give the son of Abraham who would get rid of the problem of sin. One day, to give the world the promises that God made to Abraham, God did not spare his own son. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham and the son of God. And when Jesus faced problems, he did not make plans. He waited on God's promises. So when he faced the biggest problem, we're told when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not make any threats. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He did what Abraham should have done. He waited upon God. I mean, he knew. Whenever he came to earth, he knew he was going to die. He also knew he wasn't going to die of starvation. He knew it. He also knew every time all the religious leaders made those plans to kill him before the cross, he knew they weren't going to work. Abraham sinfully saved himself and sacrificed his wife. Jesus could not sin. He could not give in to sin. Because he knew all God's promises were resting on him. And he knew he had to die. And he knew he had to die not as a sinner. And so he would not save himself. He sacrificed himself. Listen, in order to get a wife. That's the way the Bible describes us, his church. He would not save himself. He sacrificed himself to get a wife. First Peter chapter two says. He himself bore our sins. In his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. Sin would have been the problem. That would separate us from God unless God had a plan to deal with sins. And Jesus carried out the plan. Beloved, listen, because Jesus' blood was shed for our sins, he has removed the only problem that could ever separate us from God. And what I'm saying is, if you trust in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, then you should also believe nothing gets between God's people and God's promises. I've waited all this time to tell you the main point of the sermon. This is the answer to the, the title's question. Nothing. Not need. Not enemies. Not even sin. Nothing. 
gets between God's people and God's promises. Now, what if you've shown up today and you are not one of God's people? When I say nothing gets between God's people and God's promises, I I don't mean God's people as in just humans who've been made by God and and you have a relationship with them in that kind of way that he made you. I, I mean, if you're someone who your sin is still separating you from God. Because you do not love and put Jesus first. If God is for us, who can be against us? What that means is if if God is against you, who can be for you? What is your plan? You need someone to stand between you and your sin and God. And the good news is, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He's the anger removing sacrifice for our sins, but not just for ours. For the whole world. And that means it can be for you and it can be for you right now. If you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus, nothing will get between you and God's promises. I'm out of time, but I do want to tell you what happened in Pilgrim's Progress. Christian and Hopeful discussed lots of plans for how to escape giant despair and doubting castle. And then all of a sudden, after praying, Christian remembered That he had a key around his neck called promise. And that promise, that key unlocked every lock in Doubting Castle. He who did not spare his own son, but gave up his son in death on the cross. Beloved, how will he not also graciously give you All you need. Even if you die. He's promised. The last enemy to be defeated is death. So. Think about who's promising. He knew everything when he made the promise. And no one can stop him. Whenever problems come, you don't need a plan. You've already got promises. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would cause it to become powerful. That we would, whenever we're tempted with despair... And we will be, and we will maybe often be full of doubt. Lord, would you help us to remember this? Remember the Lord Jesus. That because of him, nothing will get between us and your promises. God, help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.